Um, I'm really excited to be uh, kicking off uh, this uh, new series, this new uh, practice series, E Whakarongamai Ana Kiti Atua, Listening to God. And what I want to do this morning is I just want to clear some of the theological ground around this idea of what does it mean uh, to listen to God. And, and in order to do that, I want to, do, I want to, talk, about, um, I want to talk about a famous pub in uh, Oxford. I want to talk about Glastonbury. And I want to talk about this lemon. Who's keen to see how this pans out? <laughs> I am. <laughs> um, so, hey, but what I want to do to kind of warm us all up here a little bit is, can I have a show of hands, please? I know you're uh, St. Augustine's, you're a brave lot, you're an intelligent lot, but I, can I just have a, just a cheeky little show of hands? If you at all, at any moment in your life, um, have ever felt uh, God either prompting you or speaking to you or guiding you, in any kind of way at all. Quick show of hands. Ready? All right. Now, just keep your hands up. It's a bit of a trap, as you'd probably suspected. <laughs> now, just have a look around. We're either drinking some crazy kind of Kool-Aid here, or God actually does communicate with people, right? Okay, put your hands down. It's very good of you. So um, here's another little, like, put up your hand moment. I'm going to turn you into Pentecostals before the um, morning's out. Put up two hands. Um, put up your hand if you have um, felt God speak to you about something, and then you kind of took that risky move of stepping into that. Has anyone done that? Yeah, amazing. Now, here's a moment of real honesty. Who here... Um, Again, there's no spiritual police here. The video's not on. The bishop won't know. Um, but um, who here has had a sense of actually God speak to them about something or guide you in something, but actually has, hasn't done it? Yeah, I, <laughs> I'm in this camp too, right? I mean, so often we kind of, when we think, when we talk to others or even to ourselves about, oh my gosh, am I a sense like I'm hearing from God or something? Usually we don't kind of, well, at least I don't vocalize that or speak to other people about that because they don't want to be put in the box with those other people who talk about UFO sightings, right? That's usually the box that this fits in. Who's with me, right? Yeah. It feels a bit odd. It feels a bit strange to um, articulate that. So usually, um, you know, I shy away from that. Um, but I do have to say, a public confession, that I feel personally that I've really shifted in this regard. I've shifted in the sense that um, I've shifted from saying to myself, God um, uh, sometimes speaks but often doesn't, to actually God often speaks and sometimes doesn't. Right? There's been a real shift, and I want to talk about um, that today, and I wanted to kind of unpack this experience, the experience that you guys have had, we've all had it, of um, kind of a sense of hearing from God, and whatever uh, that means. I mean, we soaked up a bit of time before, but um, just again, like, we often do this here at St. Augustine's, we give people an opportunity to kind of say, hey, um, I felt God's been saying this to me, and I went and did that, or, and I found that so encouraging, so encouraging for my faith. Um, and we're going we're gonna to actually do that this morning, but we've run out of time, so you've saved yourself uh, from that. But we could do it another time, so just uh, don't let yourself off the hook too early. So what I want to do is um, unpack this experience of hearing from God, or that sense that we hear from God. And the first thing I want to say is that whatever hearing from God is about 
It has to be in line with the kind of relationship that God wants to have with people. Hearing from God is in service of a much bigger thing, and the much bigger thing is the kind of relationship that God wants to have with humanity. Hearing from God, it's not just a good in itself. Hearing from God is actually connected to the kind of relationship that God wants to have with humanity. And you get a real glimpse of this, as Andy hinted at uh, in the opening chapters of the Bible, on page one, really, of of Genesis. And we're going to jump into that uh, now. So this is, um, let me just read this through to you, and then we're going to um, draw out a few points. So then God said, let us make humankind in our image according to our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the air and over the cattle and over all the wild animals of the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps upon the earth. So God created humankind in his image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them and said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the air and over every living thing that moves upon the earth. The Lord God took humanity and put humanity in the Garden of Eden to till it and keep it. They heard the sound of the Lord Lord God walking in the garden at the time of the evening breeze. Now, there is so much that can be um, said about um, this opening chapter of Genesis. But for our purposes today, I just really want to draw out um, a couple of points. And the first one um, is this. You know, God gives humanity responsibility. God gives humanity um, responsibility. Now, to be clear in all this, God is with us in that responsibility, God just doesn't. Uh, we, you know, we join God um, with that. You know, in basically taking responsibility of bearing God's image in the world. That's something that God gives us. But I want to be equally clear in that God will not do this for us. God has given us this responsibility, and God won't do this for us because it's intrinsically tied to what is it, what it means to bear God's image. Does that make sense? Because you know, God can't then create us to take responsibility and then take that away for us and do that on our behalf. So, and he, so that's the first point. God gives humanity responsibility, and God's not going to take that away from us. God wants to achieve that through us. Okay, that's the first thing. And the second thing to say is, um, is it's so fascinating to me at least is the amount of scope and the amount of room and the amount of um, freedom that God gives to humanity to grow into this. You know, God's not some suburban helicopter parent kind of worried about humanity stubbing their toe or sweeping, you know, sweeping the driveway so humanity doesn't trip over, you know, or neither is God some kind of, like Andy alluded to, some cosmic boss issuing commands to motionless robots, you know, that won't do anything until, you know, they get the command and off they go and do it. Now, actually, in the image that we get here from Genesis is, in fact, um, you know, delegated responsibility where there's real scope, where there's real freedom. And the assumption is, and the calling is, that we take initiative, that we develop creativity, that there's a real call to a real sense of personhood here. You know, sure, God is with us uh, in all of this, and God speaks to us as we participate 
in the unfolding of creation and seeing God's kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. But the picture we get from the opening chapters of the Bible is not God so much worried or issuing commands so that we do the right thing, but rather God having a conversation with humanity and developing that relationship so that we become the right kind of person. So often we get so focused on doing the right kind of thing, getting the command right, make sure we don't step off the edge of the mat into some you know, hellish gloom, which is where the worship leaders are. <laughs> but they actually think God wants us to become the right kinds of people. Here's a great quote by E. Stanley Jones on this. Obviously, God must guide us in a way that will develop spontaneity in us. The development of character rather than direction in this, that, and the other matter must be the primary purpose of the Father. He will guide us, but he won't override us. That fact should make us use with caution the method of sitting down with a pencil and blank sheet of paper to write down the instructions dictated by God for the day. Suppose a parent would dictate to the child minutely everything he is to do during the day. The child would be stunted under that regime. The parent must guide in such a manner and to the degree that autonomous character capable of making right decisions for itself is produced. And God does the same. Participating with God, you see, in the unfolding drama of creation is about us becoming the right kinds of characters for the purpose of taking initiative, of the purpose of autonomous or spontaneously knowing what God is up to, what God wants for this world, and for us then uh, to jump in on that. Listening to God or hearing from God, whatever that will will end up being, it is actually part of a function of this uh, kind of life. Whatever hearing God is about, it's part of a conversational relationship with God, where God is forming us to being certain kinds of characters. I love this line from Dallas Willard. He talks about you know, prayer being talking with God about what we're doing together. Talking with God about what we're doing together. It's you and God doing things uh, together. It's about, you know, again, back to Adam and Eve. It's them doing the, you know, getting the garden, extending it out, and chatting with God in the evening. It's about you sitting in your driveway as you're basically about to pull up the drive before you turn the key. It's that 30 seconds where you allow the kind of the compass of your heart to return to true north and speak to God about your day, your meeting, the challenges that you're facing, the project that's got stuck. It's that moment that you take in the car as you drop, you know, or drop the kids off at school. It's that 30 seconds you get by yourself in the shower as you kind of just pause. Or it's that moment when the kids are about to go to sleep and you basically get a moment in time just to chat and talk with God about the day and what is happening uh, in your life. You know, and have a look. I mean, again, God wants to participate in our life as not so much the command issuing disappointed parent, but rather as a friend, as a co-worker, as a colleague, as a companion. And I know this might feel like, who's getting theologically rankled at this point? 
You know, there is a sense in which this kind of hits against us, but so often we miss the real category of friendship. God wants to be humanity's friend. Parents have a role, you know, we're all, you know, it's basically to fuel counseling so our children can go to counseling and get themselves sorted out. That seems to be the role of parenting. But, you know, again, we often project that relationship onto God. It, that's, that's not really how it works. We call God Father, but it's not a father in the same way as our parents as a father. God primarily wants to operate with humanity as a friend. We're to be God's friend. I'm not making this up. Let's have a look at what Jesus says here. I do not, this is, this is actually in the Bible, by the way. This is literally the Bible, as opposed to what we were reading before. Uh, I do not call you servants any longer, because a servant does not know what the master is doing. But I have called you friends, because I have made known to you everything that I have heard from my father. Jesus says to you, I don't call you servants Jesus calls you friends and wants you to get in on what he is doing in the world as a companion and a friend. Pre-COVID, I would um, basically once a year jump on a plane and head off to Blighty, off to to, um, the UK, and often um, that would be uh, me going to uh, London to work. And on the weekends, I would take the train from London to Oxford. I'd meet my um, wonderful long-time family friend, Caroline. And we would often head to this pub, the Eagle and Child, for um, a cheeky pint and a catch-up. Now, the Eagle and Child is um, a pretty famous establishment, not least because um, between 19, uh, yeah, 1933 to 1963, a group of friends used to meet there, the Oxford uh, literary scholars. Uh, here they are. They were called the Inklings. And they would meet there um, every Monday or Tuesday um, for lunch and have a long lunch and a pint and uh, talk through uh, their work. They would read manuscripts together. They would talk about where they were stuck on projects. Um, they would get critique. They would get support. They would get uh, feedback. The most kind of um, the most well known, and really the, the tightest of this group of friends, is, the, is um, uh, C.S. Lewis and J.R.R. Tolkien. And they were really wonderful friends, and they had a, a fantastic friendship. In fact, Lewis was really instrumental in the real development of um, uh, J.R.R. Tolkien's writing of the Lord of the Rings. When the Lord of the Rings um, first started getting going in Tolkien's mind, he really got stuck on a number of areas. And, uh, and, and, and and Lewis was a great help to him, really drawing him out and really drawing out uh, these characters. And of course, you know, Lewis didn't do that by teaching him how to spell or saying, oh, this is how an English you know, sentence works. You know, these guys are Oxford, um, <laughs> Oxford professors. You know, that's all that stuff's assumed. But rather working together on this project, their friendship grew. And in fact, their relationship uh, really grew, and it spilled and bled into characters uh, for Tolkien, such as you know Samwise and Frodo. That's really reflective of the relationship between uh, Tolkien and Lewis. And similarly, uh, uh, Tolkien was a really great help uh, to Lewis as well, particularly in the writing of uh, the Narnia series, the whole fantasy world that was associated with that. And uh, and Lewis actually wrote some of the best stuff that I've ever read 
on friendship, a really important works on friendship. I mean, have a look at this from Lewis. He's, Lewis writes this about friendship. In some ways, nothing is less like a friendship than a love affair. Lovers are always talking to one another about their love. Friends hardly ever about their friendship. Lovers are normally, face, are normally face-to-face, absorbed in each other. Friends, side-by-side, absorbed in a common interest. And we shoot to the next slide. Friends are not primarily absorbed in each other. And it's when we're doing things together that friendships spring up. Painting, sailing ships, praying, philosophizing, fighting shoulder to shoulder. Friends look in the same direction. I love that line, that friends are, you know, it's that, it's the doing of things together that friendship springs up. That's the thing that creates uh, the spark of the relationship and uh, keeps the relationship going. Discipleship in the way of Jesus is the way of friendship. Friendship with God. We're not Jesus' slaves. We're not Jesus' servant. Jesus calls us his friends. We're to work side by side with Jesus, looking in the same directions, doing the same uh, kinds of things. And the expectation on God's behalf or on Jesus' behalf is that we actually know the kind of story that God is wanting for this, for his world, that we kind of know how the song goes. We know how the, the, the arc of the drama is actually supposed to be, um, where it's supposed to be heading to. And our role is to join in what Jesus is doing and for us to play our part in it. And I need to be clear, this is our part to play. It's not Jesus's part to play. Your part to play is super important in the unfolding of the drama of redemption. That's your part in your university lecture. That's your part in your business that you're running. It's your part in the family that you're part of raising. It's your part as you're trying to figure out what to teach year nine maths. It's your part in the looking after the interiority of your soul. For sure, Jesus has the destination in mind and is often in the driving seat, but we're not in the back, right? Jesus actually, we're, we're beside, right? We're in, the, we're in the passenger seat beside Jesus. Often we get given a chance to drive, but we're not in uh, the back seat at all. The way of Jesus, you see, is the way of friendship. It's joining in what Jesus is doing. Uh, for the good of the world. At 15, um, Alex Mann, uh, who's from this little town in Somerset, it's called Wells, it's just a small dot uh, on the map. Um, He went, at 15, he finds himself at the Glastonbury uh, Music Festival. It's 2019, um, regularly reaching over, um, you know, 200,000 people. Glastonbury is like, it's pretty epic, right? If you were an introvert and found yourself in Glastonbury, you would die. Right? It's not for you. There's a lot of people. There's a lot of mud, and there's a lot of body odor. It's not for the introvert, right? So all the introverts have died off at this point because the crowds swell to a massive point. Anyway, Alex is a diehard uh, fan of Diehard Dan, who's an English rapper, and he's 15. He's found he's scurried his way to the front um, with his mate, and he climbs up onto um, his friend's shoulders just to be, you know, get this great perspective. And then this happens. 
All right, that's enough rap for this morning. You get the vibe, right? You get, see what's happening here. We actually get called onto the stage of redemption to join in what Jesus is doing and to play our part. It's assumed we kind of know how the song goes and we know how the lines work. But the invitation, the risk is to come and join and play your part, and that's where the fun happens. It's not just about knowing the right thing to say. It's joining in with what Jesus is doing uh, in the world. Now, don't get me wrong. Of course, we often find ourselves lost. We often find ourselves needing wisdom. And God says to just ask, and he'll supply that for us. But again, the goal here is not just about doing the right thing. It's about becoming the right kind of person that can join with Jesus and actually, you know, jump in and really come alive as we do that. Right. How are we going for time? All right. There's no way I'm going to land the plane smoothly right at this point in time. But I do have to, uh, I do have to say something. Uh, well, I'll at least get one wheel on the tarmac um, to set up the rest of, um, set up the rest of the series. So with all that in mind, if God is basically calling us to a conversational relationship, an interactive conversational relationship, where we join with Jesus and what Jesus is doing in the world, and we're kind of taking on the element of our responsibility. God has given us our place in the world with our kind of, you know, there's a, our history, there's a period of time that only you occupy, and we're taking the importance on that, you know, really seriously. Then what does hearing from God mean um, when we place it within all that, um, with all that framework? And um, here we're into the arena of communications. Hearing is part of uh, communication. And communication is this kind of this amazing gift or this amazing process whereby um, I get to elicit a thought in your mind and that corresponds to a thought that I'm having in my mind. Okay, so let's just take a breath and we're going to unpack this um, really quickly. And we can do all of that. This is what we do every day, but in communication is I'm trying to elicit a thought in your mind that corresponds to a, a thought that I'm having in my mind. And we can do all of that without surgery or without jumper leads or anything. Okay, this is bog standard communication stuff. And so here, this is how it works. I have a thought or an intention of feeling in my mind. And that is indexed to a set of actions such as... Let yeah, me see if you can read my mind. What does that mean? Yeah, you, stop being Anglicans. Just yell it out. What does this mean? What does this mean? You are literally reading my mind, right? In these actions, right? So, and here's the most important thing is you've got these actions. They're indexed to kind of some thoughts in my mind. But most importantly, they are linked to some thoughts in your minds, right? So... Here's the question. Let's just, just stop for a second and think about this. When I do this and you say, Who's, what, whose thought is coming to the surface in your mind? No, yours. If you did not have, know what that meant, in the software in your brain, right, that wouldn't work. Okay, so what I'm doing is I'm through this action or you know, this or this or this. It's the only thing that worship leaders understand. You know, <laughs> get off the stage, you're killing us, right? I'm actually eliciting, eliciting that thought in your mind. It's my actions, but I'm trying to elicit those thoughts uh, in your mind. And the same um, works for speech. You know, I've got um, um, 
I've got something in my mind, a thought, an action, a feeling, and that's indexed to, again, a number of words. So I could use the word stop, halt, again, get off the stage, and that is basically loaded into the software in your mind, and so when I say those words, those thoughts um, come up onto the screen of your mind. Okay, so again, through speech, what I'm trying to do is elicit a certain kind of thought in your mind that corresponds to the thought that I'm having in my mind. So, for example, this is where the lemon comes in. Everyone was wondering where this comes in. Um, so, for example, if you've never seen one of these before or heard the word lemon before, you didn't have this in the software of your brain, when I said the word lemon, what would come to the surface or what would show up on the screen of your mind? Nothing, right? Or a question mark. So often, this, so in communication, what I'm trying to do is use truth, either thoughts, words, or sorry, in words and actions, they're my thoughts, my words, my actions. I'm trying to elicit those same thoughts and actions, or same, sorry, those same thoughts in your minds. And here's the key. I have to use your language, your concepts, and your sense of kind of experience in order to do that. And you know what? When God talks to us, God does exactly the same. And this is the, this is the real jump. Who's with me here? We're all, we're all doing all right here? Doing so well. So here's the thing. God just does the direct route. When God speaks to us, God can speak to us in a number of different ways. But what God does is actually usually just directs and allows to us to, allows these certain words or thoughts or concepts to come to the surface of our minds. Now, so often we think, oh my gosh, I'm just talking to myself. You know, these are my words. And of course, they are your words. They are you talking to yourself. But it's actually God directing them. And that is so much of the way that God uh, speaks to us in our lives. Um, speaking of this, in the 15th century, John Calvin talks about the way that God speaks to us not dissimilar to a way that a nurse or a nursing mother speaks to a child gently, softly, reassuringly, comfortingly. It's so softly, and you can, you can, it's barely audible. And what you detect mostly is like a presence. Calvin says this, he says, it's God lisps his speech to us. It's always quiet, and it's basically so virtually indetectable from our own thoughts, it's only the big difference is the quality. Usually, it's nearly always, I should say, not usually, it's always reassuring. It's our thoughts, but there's a sense of a reassuringness about it, and it's God directing thoughts and feelings and a sense of like what God wants to do and just brings that to the surface in our own minds. And this is why that's so important, is that this is part and parcel of developing an interactive, freely engaging relationship uh, with God. We all, you've done very well, you've done very well. We're going to unpack this more um, a bit later. And also, we, as we kind of get into this series, what we're going to be looking at is how God speaks to us through Scripture, um, hearing God through other people. We're going to look at how do we hear God in the context of worship, and also in the context of culture, where we're going to unpack how God talks to uh, people who are not actually even followers of Jesus, and actually constantly does that. 
And our patron namesake, Saint Augustine, one of the both the pub, you know the the most one of the most important public intellectuals ever, became a Christian when hearing a voice coming over the fence, Talio Lego, take up and read, kids playing. He thought, that's my, it feels like that's God speaking to me. Goes to the goes into the house, opens up the Bible, Romans thirteen. He has a massive encounter with God and just is completely blown away. That's the part. That's how. Augustine, one of the most important public intellectuals, comes to faith. And so we want to unpack this deeply, deeply significant thing. And it's, you know, again, it feels like we're talking about UFO sightings and all that kind of stuff, but this is actually part and parcel of the public discourse that is actually so important to the life of the church in our lives uh, as followers of Jesus.